Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by And Soda, a brand new, refreshing, sugar-free, sweetener-free and gluten-free vodka-based alcoholic beverage. God, I love that vodka. And with only 99 calories per can, I can drink tons. Please drink responsibly. When the fun stops, stop. Flavours include Florida Orange, British Raspberry and my personal favourite, Mexican Lime. Serve chilled and enjoy. You can check them out on And Soda across all socials. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Lefty, Vanilla Ace, Tim from the Utah Saints, and many, so many more. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. And now, including this very episode, you can find them on YouTube for the full video experience. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house or visit youtube.com forward slash DJ Felix Leiter. And don't forget to subscribe. In this episode, I talk to New Yorker West End about his mighty rise through the tech house ranks in the States and globally on heavy-hitting labels like Dirty Bird, Solo Toco and In Rotation, to name just a few. At only 24, Tyler has the world ahead of him and had COVID not intervened, some very tasty bookings lined up for 2020. We chat college parties, New York nightlife and how to network digitally in a modern age. His story to me seems like a blueprint for success for a young artist, so it's both inspirational and an interesting case study in how the industry operates today. So, let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. West End, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. No, thank you. Um, we've gone from this week, I've been quite hot on it. We've gone from Surrey with Nathan C to Sydney for Alex Preston and now we're in New York for West End. So this has been yes, a good yes. this has been a good week. Um how is it in New York? It's good, man. Um you know, we had a really big COVID spike. We were one of the first like major cities to kind of have one earlier in like April, May. Um, but the city's kind of got it under control. In terms of like nightlife, we're still very much shut down in all aspects there. Um, there really isn't any opportunity to do pretty much anything in New York when it comes to DJing. Like I know, um, well, there Same are here. some, but, but uh, you know, some, some states in the U.S., they've, they've had socially distant shows. They've had these drive-in shows. You know, some places like Florida even have like the nightclubs fully open. New York, there really hasn't been much, like a couple little things here and there. So, um, but overall, good, man. It's been good. So we'll 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 go back to the kind of yeah format of this podcast in a second, but just out of interest. So when was your last DJ gig? When was your last show? So my last show it was uh, sometime like mid March. I was in uh, I was doing a show in San Francisco with Dumbreski, and then I did a show in Los Angeles. Um, have you heard of Space Yacht before? Yeah, they're they're like a pop up party. They do a Tuesday show in LA. So like my last show was. It was actually their last event. Um, it was like the Tuesday, and then this was in March, and then the day after was the when kind of everything started to to go 
go to shit. It was like the NBA got canceled, um, like all this stuff. It was like Miami Music Week was canceled, Ultra, all this stuff. So kind of had like that last day and then everything was gone after that. So, and, and I appreciate it's, it's quite a long time, so I'm not looking for a, a super detailed answer here, but yeah. how has the last six or seven months looked for you then? What have you done? How have you filled your time? How have you found it? Yeah, definitely. So, like, the first couple months, it was more, like, music was kind of, like, the last thing on my mind, and DJing and, like, my career. You know, I was just very focused about the virus itself, my family, my health, um... My my girlfriend is uh, she's a doctor or she she went into um, the hospital. She was in med school and she graduated during this time. So she was going to become a doctor. Um, you know, I had like all these like thoughts and stuff. So the first few months, music definitely wasn't like the main priority. And then when I kind of realized like, oh, this this thing is here to stay. You know, the first thing in my mind is like, how do I adapt? Like, you know, what can I be doing now? Um, you know, production is something that I've always been doing and luckily has, you know, production has not been affected at all by this. You know, I'm able to stay at home. I, I'm, I'm pretty much a bedroom producer, so it's not like I was going into studios much. Um, so still able to do productions. But I was like, what ways can I kind of pivot? And, you know, took some inspirations from some peers and started doing lessons. So I've been doing like one on one mentorship with I must have done it with at least 75 different people. Um, easily over 100 sessions, but that's kind of been the bulk of my time has been doing this one-on-one uh, -on -one Ableton lessons and mentorship for for all a bunch of artists. Was that something um, that you'd done previously to, to, to lockdown? Like, No, no, not at all. It was, uh, yeah, before lockdown, it was just pretty much production and gigging. That was it. Um, even the other aspects of like revenue generation for an artist, like merch, um, or, you know, like a lot of artists will do sample packs, things like that, like that never really crossed my mind. And then when this all happened and like the gig, the gig money went away, it was like, okay, I need some extra cash. And so that's when I thought about product, uh, do, doing these production lessons. But before that, no, never really thought of it. So, so interestingly then, would you, I mean, obviously at that level, probably not, well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth at that level, yeah. maybe not. Would you continue it on? Is it something now that obviously it's been opened up to you as a, an avenue that you hadn't previously considered, but if things mm -hmm. started to get more back to normal and by normal, I mean, you're back on the road again, you gig in your release schedule and we'll talk about your releases later, but you know, your release schedule in full flight, would you narrow it down to say a few artists and keep that going? Yeah, that's actually kind of exactly what I thought of because the, the quantity that I'm doing now is a little, it would be unmanageable with like a full gigging kind of like full 360 artist, you know, marketing, production, everything. Um, Cause I do do a lot of hours per week. So, you know, I think, and I had people ask me this specifically, I think I would probably narrow it down to a few select artists that are like very committed and that I see a lot of potential. Um, Cause a lot of it is like, I don't want to, I want to work with someone that I want to work with, you know, not just to take their money and then teach them a couple of things. It's someone that, you know, I want to help like grow. And I really think that I would have the ability to do that. And some people I feel like I am able to have an influence easier than others. So I would probably get a select few, you know, I don't know how many, five to 10, maybe less, um, and be able and do kind of mentorship continuously. And then maybe at some point it would have to end if, you know, the gigging was too much or something else came into my life. But um, I, at least for the foreseeable future, I, I, I'm keeping it as part of the routine. Nice one. Well, let's give a shout out to uh, 
my friend and I think yours, Michael M-U-U-S, like yes. Bruce, he's, uh, yes. I'm sort of helping him out and I know you are too. He's got some great releases um, and he's making some great music. So he's definitely benefited from that, from your help, man. So I think that's great. He was, let's, sorry, he was actually the first, he was the first one, I think, that, because uh, I think I spoke with him like uh, over Instagram or Facebook or something. Um, and then he was actually the first person to reach out to me and be like, hey, it was actually, it was before I even started doing it through a company and like kind of structured he was like a lot of artists are doing this right now like would this be something you're interested in and i was like uh maybe like i don't know if like <laughs> i would be beneficial so he kind of sparked it all but yeah he's a great producer great guy um and he's in the last couple of months we've seen like amazing uh his tunes have been really good and he's just been doing a lot of hitting a lot of milestones in his career so i'm very happy for him yeah but, he's a super nice guy and a super talented producer yeah. so one to watch well let's go i want to take you into the sort of the body of the podcast then and i want to take you back before um tutoring before djing before producing i want to take you right back to kind of your childhood really um yeah and hear a little bit about first of all this, this you know where the journey starts what are the first musical influences that you are experiencing in your life who's playing music around you is it in the car is it brothers and sisters is it parents you know way before you're even buying music i'm talking you know really early in life what are you hearing you know before you even have the ability to choose what's getting played to you if you will definitely yeah so my memory's not great but i think as a child and i definitely know my parents are not very musically inclined they work in uh they work in TV, uh, both of them at uh, PBS, which is like public broadcasting, kind of similar to the BBC over there. We have PBS over here. Um, so my parents work in that, and I never really have any distinct memories of them playing a lot of music for me. It was always something that maybe came on at like the radio in the car, but it was never like put on a CD at home kind of situation. So I really wasn't exposed to music until I got a CD player. Um, because, you know, I didn't really listen to the radio at home, like maybe TV and stuff, but nothing like significant, no real taste or anything like that. Um, I think I got like a CD player probably in an elementary school. So maybe when I was like nine or eight or 10 or something like that. Um, and my older, my older cousin who actually, my uncle, he moved to London and then had, um, children there. So they're British and U.S. citizens. One moved back to the U.S. and I think he worked at like a CD store here. I forgot what it was called, but it was, I uh, can't remember the name, but it was like one of these big kind of CD department stores that don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think he got me my first album, which was Jay-Z, the Black album, because he was, a, he's actually a producer and he, he did like hip hop beats. So um, I first got into, the first music I got into was definitely hip hop. Um, I think that was my first CD, it was Jay-Z, the Black album. Um, I do have like distinct memories of, Eminem, the uh, which one was it? The one with the red cover. Uh, it's like, are you familiar with Eminem's work at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh it's like the Eminem show. The Eminem show, I think. That's, that's right. Yeah, that the one, one. one with all the big hits um, on, basically. Yes, lose yourself. Like, uh, yeah. So that I remember just listening like front to back on the CD in car rides, like over and over again, like probably hundreds of times. I was like, listening to every song, like knew all the words. Um, so I was definitely like a, a hip hop rap kid in my early years. Um, and that's kind of how I got to start. Uh, I think, you know, as I went through schooling, I had new friends, I kind of got into a little bit more like alternative rock and stuff, a little like, like emo kind of music, nothing, nothing, uh, never was like too into it. And like, that was the funny thing was that music was never like a huge part of my childhood. I know for a lot okay. of artists, it's like, 
they had musical parents or you know they were very involved with music i never really played an instrument i picked up guitar for a little bit but never like got good at it um so i got into rock a little bit and did then, you grow up in new york like did you go uh, did you go to school in new york and grow up around that area yes yeah so i grew up um in the upper west side of new york which is in right. manhattan so kind of like near central park nice. um and i went to yeah school there and then for high school, I went to a school in the Bronx called Bronx Science. We can chat on that a little bit later because that ties into how I got into production. But uh, yeah, always grew up in the city. A lot of people like asked me that because you know a lot of people moved to New York from like the suburbs and stuff. But for me, I was always like in the the middle of the city my whole life. And I think a lot of people um, often. I mean, it might sound like a strange comment to you, but I think a lot of people often we especially people you know not only people that don't live in or have lived or been into new york but especially people from all around the world often consider new york just to be manhattan and sort of sometimes ignore the other boroughs that are sort of around it so i mean even that how was it quite a lot of traveling to get from where you live near central park to the school in the bronx what was the thought process about you going to a school that was a little bit further away yeah, definitely. Um, that, that is a, the right view. A hundred percent. People just think of New York as like Manhattan. Even like when I was a kid, like I never really ventured that much into the outer boroughs, um, just because. And now it's funny because now I spend, even though I live in Manhattan now, um, I spend like zero leisure time in Manhattan. It's like if I'm going out of the house, I'm probably going to a different borough. Um, so it's kind of funny how it's switched. But yeah, I w uh, New York. So I went to public school for elementary school which is kindergarten through fifth grade and then for middle school which is sixth through eighth then high school we have like this system called like specialized high schools so you take like a test and there's a couple of different ones there's one in the bronx there's a couple in brooklyn there's some in manhattan and they're like these elite kind of public schools so um it's very competitive people want to get in so the one i got into was like in the bronx um and so yeah, it took a school bus to school. Kind of weird in New York City taking a school bus, but it took that. And sometimes it took like the subway and stuff. Um, it was just easier to get on the bus and fall asleep than to get on the subway. But I know kids that commuted like an hour and a half, two hours to school just because they maybe lived in like a really far away borough and like they really wanted to go to this school. So, so yeah. um, we sort of one of the questions I normally ask is that first music, but obviously you you picked up on that, which was the Jay Z's Black album. And the next yeah. thing that I sort of like to ask, and I think. I'm going to imagine where your answer is going to come from here. But I quite like to ask, like, again, taking your way back, because now growing up, I think it's very obvious to a lot of people that DJs exist and, and what they do and who they are. But can you remember the first time that you were aware that someone was a DJ, aware that someone was had decks or turntables and they were playing music to entertain people and that was their job? Like, can you remember the first time you were aware of that? That's a good question. Um... It really, like, I, I think I knew, like, what the concept of a DJ was, but the idea of, like, a gigging, traveling DJ, or even one that, like, plays at a party, because I think when I was young, my view of a DJ was more of, like, the scratching hip-hop kind of DJ, just, like, <laughs> yeah, the worker-worker-worker, <laughs> not the kind of, like, mixing tunes aspect of it. It wasn't really until I was in high school and like I was actually kind of exposed to the electronic music side of things that I was more aware of like the DJ at the party. Um, so yeah, it just never really, you know, I think uh, DJ AM, he, I think I listened to some of his mixtapes before I kind of got into electronic music and it was like some mashups that he did. Uh, he had like that album with 
the, the drummer guy, Travis Barker, I think. Um, and so that may be one of like the first DJs I thought of, but it wasn't really until like Diplo and I got into like electronic music that I was like, oh, there's this, the DJ as like the artist, the DJ as the party curator, you know, kind of behind the stage DJ. Do you remember the first time you, you, you physically saw someone DJing at a house party or in a club or in a bar or like, do you remember the first time were you, were you sort of intrigued by it or were you, did it not really appeal to you at the time? Like, do you just, do you remember that? Yeah. So I got, well, I had a friend in high school whose dad was a, a DJ and he got into DJing. And so in New York City, the, when we would have parties, it's kind of hard to have like house parties in New York because people live in these like one bedroom, two bedroom apartments. And it's like, you can only fit so many people there and like you can't just like trash our apartment even though we did do that a bunch of times um <laughs> so like the the track team in my school i don't know why it was the track team but the, the kids on the track team they they kind of threw these things that were called track parties and they would rent out these different venues around new york city so like one was like a community center downtown and like you know it was like this whole process where one of the kids had a fake ID and he would kind of pretend to be 21 and sign this like agreement. And then, you know, we like people would bring decks and like, like jungle juice and all this stuff. And like, it'd be like 300 people, like, you know, high schoolers at this little party. So I had a friend that was DJing those parties. And I do remember being like, I want to be that person. Like I want to be the person behind the decks. Um, and it wasn't what the, it wasn't that like I wasn't having like fun at the party or anything like that, but it was just like that appealed to me the most. So I think that was like the first time I was like at a party. It was probably like in high school, and I was like that that's awesome. Like and it those parties kind of were like a rave. Like it was very much like the attention was on the DJ. Like it was all electronic music. Um, it wasn't really kind of like background music at a party, like someone just playing something. So I think because that was like my initial exposure, I was definitely more drawn to that type of like DJ. It's interesting you obviously you mentioned the 21 thing because uh, you know people in the UK and I guess around most of Europe but especially the UK we were trying to sneak into nightclubs when we were 15, 16, 17 yeah. because you know obviously the the age is 18 whereas obviously with that 21 and the the sort of way that people get ID'd in the states is much more aggressive than the way that people get ID'd in in most of Europe. Um, so there is that difference between you know the ability for for you guys growing up in the states to be in a nightclub quite early on, whereas people in especially the UK again Europe are used to being in a nightclub at sixteen or seventeen, um, so they get exposed to that. Um, so these these yeah. tra these track parties or these track raves. Can you remember what sort of when you say electronic music? What sort of what sort of stuff are we talking? Are we talking those Baltimore, like the early Baltimore, like Diplo-y type beats that he was putting out back in the day? Or are we talking like Justice stuff, housey stuff? Like what kind of what kind of music can you remember from them? It was definitely, so So my friend, he was the kind of like initial DJ and he was like the resident DJ for these. And then towards the end of, this is like my junior, senior year, so my last year of high school, um, I started getting involved. We would kind of do back-to-backs. I would do some... Um, and it was definitely uh, very like fidgety, electro-y, um, kind of like we said, like the Diplo, not so much Justice, but um, 
lot of like blog house a lot of dutch house as well yeah that was definitely really big at the time i mean this wasn't that long ago i'm not uh, this was like 2011 2012 yeah. so afrojack um yeah. chucky like all, stuff uh, like yeah. chucky layback <laughs> luke sydney samson because they had a lot of like you know that was the era of like the bootlegs and they had a lot of bootlegs of popular songs so like you know the people that would go to these parties like everyone would love to like rage kind of to like this kind of music but again as a DJ, you couldn't go too far left field with like the, you know, you needed the vocals, you needed the remixes, um, David Guetta, you know, Rehab, a bunch of these guys. So like they had a, a lot of like top 40 kind of remixes and mashups and stuff. So th- a lot of that was played. Um, and what were you DJing on? What, what equipment were you using? Were you using like a controller and a laptop? Was it CDJs? Yeah. Was it, what, what, what equipment were you playing off of the track parties? It was, uh, we, so me and my friend, we each had our own controller. Nice. Um, and usually we would split, split one, but I think it was Tractor on a laptop with nice. uh, a controller on it. So, yeah, I was like a big Tractor. Until I started using CDJs, which was not until much later, um, it was all Tractor. Um, I still love Tractor. I think, like, the layout is amazing. Uh, it's yeah. really good for file management and stuff. Um, and it's very, like, you know, you, you, need, you don't really need much of a controller. You just need a two eq bands and the volume fader and like a jog wheel so that's what we were using um and then like a pair of like you know shitty booth monitors that we would one would be kind of facing us one would be facing out we would like twist it and stuff um very janky setup but i think it's interesting you mentioned tractor because i mean i still dj and tractor now out of choice um but i've always dj'd on tractor with um the cdjs as the controllers like i've never i've never used a controller well i don't use a controller and i have like an x1 controller in between the cdjs um and like i kind of close the laptop and control everything like through hdi mode so it's all like wired in um so, so the cdjs can you can see all the file management everything but it's just interesting because you're almost your reasoning for going to tractor from no level of DJing it was my reasoning of going to Tractor from originally carting round records and then having to burn CDs. So for me, it was like I have, have all my music available to me, but just without having to carry any, you know, without having to carry records or CDs. And then also it was that thing where if you were on a plane or a train or a bus, you could be doing an edit and you could just straight away burn it and it would be there. Again, you wouldn't need to do anything. You've got everything on your laptop. So, yeah, I love using Tractor and I love the versatility and and the way that you can control the music and have the different decks and and all that kind of stuff. Um, So you obviously decided that, you know, you wanted to be the DJ at the party. It was kind of nice to be the center of attention. It was nice, as you said, to kind of curate the party and the music. So what were the... Well, at this point, have you decided that that's going to be, you know what I mean, your life? This is what you're going to do? Have you still got a different career path in mind? At which point, you know, do you start DJing seriously? Or does production come before the DJing? How does how do the next steps out of high school line up? Yeah, so it's definitely, there's a long road from there to now. So I'll kind of break <laughs> it up into some chunks because uh, it can't take you the whole, the whole road. It'll, it'll be here forever. But, um, so... Yes, I, I started to kind of like do these parties and DJ and I was like, I really like this. And I don't think I had like a really, you know, like a, a big hobby at the time. So this was like, this was my thing. Like, you know, I'm going to school, I'm doing this, I'm hanging with friends, I'm playing some sports and stuff. But like, this is the thing that I like, it, it, you know, is going to kind of define me a little bit and like what I like to do. Um, and, you know, it's a real blessing. The school that I went to is the alma mater of Robert Moog. So he like the Moog synthesizer. Yeah. Um, and so 
he went there, he's a graduate, and his daughter donated this digital music lab, which was basically a classroom with like 30 iMacs. Um, each one had Reason 4 on it and uh, like a MIDI keyboard, like a 25, novation, 25 key Novation or something like that. Um, and there was a class called Digital Music Lab where one of like the music teachers, like I think he was like the jazz band or, or something, he was like a general music teacher, but he taught this music production class. Um, so like I was like, I got to take this. This goes hand in hand with like, you know, what the music that I'm like listening to now and the DJing that I'm doing. So I took that class and like that was what kind of like opened me up to the world of production. Um, we learned about like synthesis. We learned about um, EQ, like basic mixing and compression, um, just kind of like all the effects in, in, a, in a DAW, how a DAW works, uh, tempo, all this stuff. So um, it was a great class to kind of like get my hands on in production. And I was kind of like making these really terrible like house electronic beats at the time, like kind of like my Dutch house I wanted to do. Um, so that, that's what kind of got me into production. And then I, you know, cracked did you have the software. Any, did you have any musical? Yep. Did you have any, just, just to, just cause a lot of no. people will be interested in this. Did you have any musical theory background? Had you ever played? I mean, you said you picked up a guitar once, but did you have any understanding of chords and any understanding of, um, scales or anything like that? Um, so I, I, when I learned guitar, I, I didn't pick it up once. I learned it for like a little bit. So I, like, okay. I had some basic, you know, like I, I understood where the scale was. I understood what a chord was in theory. Um, you know, I probably could read sheet music very slowly, you know, if I'm like looking at it, not like fluently, but like a little bit, um, but nothing like strong kind of as a musical background. And, okay. and when I did pick up guitar, it was probably like early high school. It wasn't like something I was kind of doing it from like a child where I feel like it sticks with you a little bit more. So pretty much not that much of a music theory background, but I was very willing to learn. And like in the class, there was definitely the music theory aspect. Um, it wasn't just like play with the bleeps and bloops. It was kind of like, you know, here's a scale, here's a chord, here's a rhythm. Um, so, you know, I think like if you're a smart guy, you can kind of pick up on that stuff. It's not too complicated, in my opinion. A lot of it is just practice and execution. So I definitely was able to like pick up on the concepts. But, you know, it's never really been a huge part of the production process for me. Um, yeah. You know, I always it's kind of like the grids that are there that I go to sometimes in music theory to like check things or, you know, I use it as a um, a foundation point to start something. But it's never really like part of my production process um entirely so club club wise at this point not club wise sorry dj wise are you still playing quite regularly at these um are you finding different places to play after the after the track parties are there, are there more places that you can set up and play at parties are you getting asked to do more of these parties because you're gaining a reputation so they didn't happen that often just because it was like a big you know budget thing and like it was kind of like a once and a quarter type thing so there weren't actually that many i'd only probably dj'd like five to ten times or something like maybe okay. if there were some little kind of house parties would do it or something like that but um and I, again i was like in high school so like i was like 16 17 years old and like like you okay. said new york city 21 like there's no way you're booking like a 16 year old um for a club there was a club here called pasha like i'm sure you heard of pasha like in ibiza um and they actually had a under 18 night where like people from all around the New York area, New Jersey, you know, Long Island, New York, um, they would book these big DJs and kind of have it 
one night would be like the under 18 and then the club would open. So I remember my friend, he did like one of the opening slots there. And that was like a first experience of like going to a club and being like, oh, my God, like the sound system, the the lights, the lasers, everything like that. Um, I never I don't think I DJed at one of those. Um, but there were a lot of like, you know, younger 16, 17 year old kids DJing at them. Um, but yeah, then I when I graduated high school, I went to college um, and I went to school in the south in uh, North Carolina at the school called Duke. Um, and so I obviously like brought my DJ equipment with me and I was like, I'm ready to DJ all these parties here. So I did do a lot of stuff throughout college, but very different than the New York stuff because it, here the people didn't really like electronic music as much. It was definitely more of like a hip hop top 40 type situation. And I was DJing here to get paid. So I would DJ these fraternity and sorority parties and would make, you know, not that much money, but just like a small kind of fee, a couple hundred bucks here and there. And so it wasn't really about me anymore. And the attention wasn't really like, here's the DJ. It was more of like, here's the party. And so you got to play what we want to play. Like, these are the songs I want to hear. So it was kind of like a open format um, that I did for a few years then. That was the kind of in between. And it wasn't until after college that I even start thinking about like playing in clubs again and like touring and stuff what like did you, that i know it's a bit different in the states but what did you go to to duke i mean duke's a very famous you know very famous college what did you go to to study there was it anything to do with music or was what, what did you actually no. go there to no yeah so like i guess my mindset going into this was like all right i'm in high school like you know i'm in a good high school i, I want to go to a good college a prestigious college i want to you know get a good degree and stuff so you know again like music is just like a hobby kind of thing um so it's it's, a, it's my biggest hobby and it comes with me everywhere but um you know i want to do something else so when i got to duke you know you don't really you don't go into the school knowing what you want to do you kind of it's very like liberal arts so you kind of do everything for a year and then figure it out um i ended up majoring in public policy which is so different from uh what you know what i'm doing now um, not for any really good reason other than it was a very big major at, the, at Duke and it was kind of like economics but without as much math so like a lot of people <laughs> who didn't want to do the math kind of did that um, you know I probably like looking back this is just you know separate probably should have done something I was a little bit more interested in because I wasn't totally interested in public policy you know it was like I did that and I did computer science um, and it was more of just like you know, get a degree and then I'm going to find a job doing something afterwards. I wasn't really like, I want to go into public policy. A lot of kids from Duke, they would go into consulting, they'd go into finance, they would go into tech. Um, it was kind of like one of those degrees where it's like, you just prove that you can kind of be a hard worker and, you know, you're smart and you can do X, Y, Z and then do something else. So that was kind of the motivation there. Did you find any... Um did you find any places to kind of get involved with electronic music? Were there any clubs that were playing it? Were there any little kind of parties that you were involved with? Or was it just something that was on the back burner for those years while you were at college? Yeah, so there was definitely like some other producers there. You know, if you have like a school of like 9,000 people, there's going to be some people, you know, music producers, electronic music producers. Um, before I even went there, there was like a big Facebook group where like all the incoming freshmen were like part of it and kind of like, you know, chatting with each other. I think I made a post on there. I was like, does anyone else like to DJ or produce? Like I'm a you know producer from New York. I like Dutch House, blah, blah, blah. And this guy, Spencer Bruno responded um, and he was a kid from Dallas and he made dubstep. But he had already, you know, he was like 16, 17, 18, whatever it was. 
he had already made a bunch of like waves in the in the music world. His music was supported by Rusco and a lot of these dubstep guys. Um, and so we kind of connected and we ended up living in the same floor in our dorm freshman year. And and he uh, so he was always like there with me, kind of like producing music. You know, we weren't the greatest of friends in in college, but we would always, you know, we always cross paths and talk about music a little bit. Um, he ended up touring with Avicii his junior or wow. senior year, and now he's a big producer on Anjuna Deep. Uh, Spencer Brown, I don't know if you've heard. Oh of him. yeah, yeah, sure, um, yeah. My friend. Yeah, oh so. wow, my friend. Um, my friend. Um, shout out to Teffa. My friend makes um, th- that exactly that kind of music, and um, yeah. we. I actually saw Spencer Brown DJ. I think before Above and Beyond um, at my yep. the club I've got a residency at Digital, and um, my friend James came down and he was stood there Teffa, and he was like, "This guy is." sick like he was like the records he makes sick and producer, next yeah. level wow that's amazing that you know i'm gonna to have to tell Teffer he'll be he'll be badgering me to get his email yeah, address yeah. from you or something that's amazing so, yeah so you so you finish college then having still been having like you say this this hobby of music but it's not like you've you've spent you know all these years djing and producing when you come out mm-hmm. of college um do you move back to New York? Where's your headspace? What are you looking for a job? Are you trying to get DJ gigs? So I'm just taking you. You know, I'm not asking you the whole story. I'm just this. You know, you leave college yes, yes, and yes. what's going on in the in your mind at this exact kind of moment? So let, let me give a little bit more background because I think it's going to make sense. So um, by the the first year of college, the kid that I was uh, DJing with back in New York, we've now kind of have a duo together, and it's called C and T, Che and Tyler. So all throughout college, I was we were kind of producing music to try to get this this artist group to to kind of blow up a little bit. So you know I, I was working on music all throughout college. Um, you know not really good, but way better than I was back then. Like getting full arrangements done, you know, finishing songs, thinking about mixing and stuff. And we didn't really we were kind of figuring out what we wanted to make. Like you know at this time the kind of hip hop trap music in in the U.S. was getting big. Like it wasn't really invented until. The electronic aspect of it wasn't really invented until 2012, 2013. So we played around with that. And then I think towards the end, we were really inspired by Chami and Oliver Heldens and these guys doing this kind of resurgence of, of house with, um, it was called Future, Future House. It was yeah. like house. Yes. And so like, you know, we were always like a little bit more into like the mainstream kind of things. And that kind of sucked us into that world a little bit. Um, so we were doing some productions then, a lot of like bootlegs. I remember one like big milestone for us was we did a bootleg of this uh, disclosure song with Gregory Porter. It was called like Holding On, I think, um, like probably late 2015. It was just like a bootleg. This was like the SoundCloud days where you could still put something up and it would organically grow really big without you having to, you know, anything like that, repost or anything like that. Um, and like it ended, we it ended up getting like a you know a hundred thousand plays or something. I remember Danny Howard like played it on BBC Radio One, and I was like a little you know kid at Duke in his bedroom, and like that was like my first like, oh my god, like you know, that my music is good enough to get played on the radio, or my music is good enough to get supported by a DJ. Um, so, doing this duo, graduate college, and I'm like I need to find a job. Um, get, ended up working at a company that my girlfriend's friend, who's my girlfriend's a year older than me, so she had graduated a year before me. Um, it was a tech company in New York called Yext, um, kind of like a startup tech company. They did like like SEO kind of stuff for other companies, yeah. um, and they had like a whole platform and stuff. So interviewed with them, got a job, and it was in New York, which was good because I wanted to move back to New York anyway. That's where my girlfriend was, my family. So 
packed up, moved to New York, um, and started like working full time. And, uh, you know, the goal at this point was like, I was like, I saw potential in myself. I was like, okay, music. Now I'm like, this is something that I want to do full time. I'm not ready to do that yet, but it's like a goal that I kind of have. Um, and I think, you know, high school me didn't really see that. It was more of just like a hobby, fun kind of thing. And then as I got older and saw other people do it and saw how a career can go from like nobody to something, um, I was like, okay, I want to do this. So I started working full time and it was just production when I get home from work every day, you know, from six to three in the morning and then waking up, going to work, um, just trying to get as good as possible. And that's when the, that's when the West End project started and that's also when you know the beginning of I would say like my career as an artist like before that everything was kind of noodling around and um, you know doing small stuff like that this was the first time I'm like okay 360 picture how do I kind of you know get to where I want to be okay um, so that's, so that that's yeah that's super interesting so let's let's kind of like bookend that and then begin this the West End project so yeah. first of all and I always love to ask questions like this where did the name come from Okay, so um, in 2016, I needed to, I didn't need to, but I wanted to uh, split the duo that I was in up, CNT, um, for many reasons, a lot like personal that doesn't really need to be discussed, but um, mostly I, I was doing like most of the work, like the production work, um, and I was like, there's no real benefit from being in a duo at this point, it's like more of a drain than it is like benefiting, so... Um, I ended that and I, I had a couple like releases lined up so I needed a name pretty quickly I, I couldn't really like ruminate on it for that long um, and I wanted something I wanted something that started with a W because I liked the way that the W just like I don't know the way it looked on like flyers and things like that you know I probably should have done something a little bit earlier in the alphabet because I'm always like last on flyers <laughs> and but, the w, yeah on the Z um, lineups <laughs> yeah exactly it's like West End Z those people at the end um <laughs> So I needed something, and I wanted something that was, like, New York-based because, like, that felt like my whole identity and my brand. I was like, well, what do I want to put out? And I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm from New York. This is where I was born and raised. I live here now. You know, kind of, like, the city flows through me. It's, it's like, the most authentic thing about me. So I was like, I want something New York-based. Um, and I grew up on West End Avenue, which is an avenue that runs all the way down the left side of Manhattan and I'd live and I moved back home after college so I was living there at the time as well um so I was like let's just try that and then just kind of picked that and stuck with it nice one so so I, I I totally understand the working through the day and then the grind is on now the grind is on production wise are you still are you in did you mention Ableton what 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 are you working in at this point when you nice, you've, got, yeah. you've, got, you've graduated college you're doing this full grind thing are you in Ableton now yeah, I think I switched over. So I was in Reason just because that was the program that we mm -hmm. learned yeah. in yeah in school. So I bought Reason. Um, it was Reason Four, and I think halfway in through college, I switched to Ableton because I was just there's so many uh, limits to Reason. Like at the time, you couldn't even there was no like audio grid. Like you couldn't drag in an audio sample. You had to put the audio into a sampler and then like draw the MIDI note out. It was just like a huge pain in the ass. There was also no VST or plugin support, so it was all, the the reason native plugins are amazing. Like the synthesizers and drum machines, like very creative. It's all CV racked. You know, you can connect everything, so it's really awesome. But 
I felt like it was holding me back because I was like, look, I want to have massive. I want to have these effects. I want to be able to get presets. I don't want to have to make every single synth or watch a video for like the reason way to make this. <laughs> um, so like it was like, all right, I need to like learn that. I picked up Ableton like pretty quickly. Like it took me like a month or two, and then I was like, I was in the flow. I got it. So yeah, by the time that I started like grinding on production, I was in Ableton full time, pretty comfortable with it. And you still um, are you still? I mean, you you uh, you use this term, so it's it's not me being disrespectful. You said obviously before, I'm I'm still a bit of a bedroom producer, and I obviously what I mean by yes. what you're, you're obviously a very talented producer by your records. But what I mean by that is, I take it you're still kind of in the box. You're in Ableton. There's not a lot of hardware. If anything, there's a MIDI keyboard. Is that how you still make you know all of your records? I don't. I don't even have a MIDI keyboard. Um, well. Yeah, I'm very much. <laughs> I'm very much in the box. Um, a lot of it is the product of the environment as well. Like, I'm in a small apartment in New York City. Um, you know, I even got away from monitors. I stopped, I used these uh, these headphones um, yeah. in the last year and a half. Um, I have I, what I was producing on before that was Rocket 5s. But yeah, totally like a bedroom producer. Always have been. Hopefully, not always will be. But um, for now, that's the case. Uh, I think it's yeah, just minimal, a really good point because it's not it's yeah it's not a derogatory point it's the fact that you know you see no, it all the all. time people should be able to set up a laptop and, and get an idea down and, and Ableton is a really intuitive program to use it's really fast to use and you know it's really easy to get things in there so if we take you back then you you do you, you work in your day job you're grinding it out you've got a few releases so you come up with the West End thing which is obviously a really big identifier to, to you and where you live and, and where you come from um, how quickly do you find you know releases how do you get your releases to labels have you got a manager at this point how what are the sort of steps i take it you are you djing a bit more or is it just all production now so um start with djing djing a lot less than i was in college because now i'm in a new city that i haven't been in in four years not a new city but new as an adult um don't know anyone don't don't have any connections to the clubs yet so it's kind of like starting from scratch and new york is a very it's very hard for locals to kind of bust in because there's so many djs and you know it's not like a smaller town or city where it's not that many people doing it you can kind of easily walk into the club and meet the people it's very you know they're behind the stage vip so um kind of have to like start from square there so i'm not djing much like maybe a gig every three months in new york like a little kind of party gig or like a what's it called like a not a restaurant like a lounge gig or something like yeah, that sure. um but and then going back to the production side of things i'm totally blanking what was yeah no, the, no it's fine it's fine I, i'm asking you big questions i, I think from my production point of view my question really is from from someone who's working through the day and who's someone who's sitting labels. in their room on a laptop. Yeah, how do you find the labels? What are your first? Because yeah. obviously things things start to as as Michael's finding out moves like things start to domino. So as soon as you get a foot in almost one door, it starts to hook you up with collabs and different labels and different people. But how do you sort of find that first foot in the door? How how do you start to to, to press things open? Yeah. So. Um, a lot of it was momentum and carryover from the previous project because um, people kind of knew that that thing went away. There was no more CNT and it kind of became West End. Um, and the other guy, I don't know what he's doing, to be honest. But um, so that became West End. So I did have the momentum from there. 
Um, and a lot of that was just from SoundCloud releases. You know, the biggest thing was Facebook. It was just I made friends on Facebook. I added producers on Facebook, people that I'd never met in real life, and I would just chat with them. So I had a couple people that I was, like, working with. You know, one was this duo in Australia called Sodef, S-O-D-F. Yeah. Um, we, we had done, like, some collaborations, and, you know, so we kind of, like, used each other to, to push both of us up. Um, I was working a lot with this label called Audiophile XXL. It was uh, this big network of labels. Um, one was called Bodhi Collective. Then we had XXL. There was Audiophile Deep. They were based out of uh, Dallas. And so, I, you know, when I got my first release, which I think was just from submitting it through that demo email, you know, following up with them, sending them more demos, friending the label manager on Facebook, this guy Robert, who was kind of like my first manager. He you know, he really like guided me a bunch back in like 2016. Um, so again, yeah, it's, it's a very much like a rebound effect. It was like, you, I was just very social, always try to be nice and like courteous to people and uh, just a talk with of, a bunch of people on Facebook. A lot, of, a lot of digital networking, it sounds like. So I hit him, yeah. Yes, a ton, just a ton of that. Um, and, and SoundCloud at the time was also very different. Like you could kind of post things up and you would gain organic fans. Um, even like the DJs that were kind of not at the same level as me, the ones that were a little bit a step a step above. So like people like that's a bad example, Billy Kenny, Maximono. Uh, like I was a big fan of the This Ain't Bristol guys. So like would try to reach out to them and like on Instagram or email and like even if I got a one word like thanks response, you know, just getting my name out there and and, sure. and visible. Um, and another thing I did was like I did a bootleg for this guy Stace Cadet. Um, he had his like first release. I think it was on this label called Medium Rare Records in Australia. And we did like a bootleg of that. Um, and didn't. And then it ended up getting picked up by the label because we sent it to them and they were like, "Oh, we like it. Like, why don't we just like you know distribute this and package it up?" So um, it was just like really hungry and just very digital kind of interactions. At least cool. for the label side of things, it was all digital. And what what would you say then was, I mean, I'm aware of like, you know, I'm aware of the records that you've got now. You're obviously sort of part of that, what I would sort of see as that infectious family as far as Solo, Solo Koto and um, the, your, your, the track You're Feeling Me. But like, how, what would you, would you say, not big break, but what would you say was your first significant break that really started to open the door to these bigger labels and to, you know, West End as an artist really becoming... Um, what you know getting to where you are now yeah so for me it's always been like a kind of linear slope up there there's definitely been some parts where it's gotten a little bit more exponential but i never i, I didn't have like one specific thing that was like huge for me kind of like a, a hit um i haven't had a hit um i think there's two that kind of ring in my mind the first was on audiophile xxl i had like an ep um, it was called Gyrate, and it just did really well in Beatport. I think it hit like number one in in the releases charts for like Tech House or whatever it was, Bass House at the time. Um, and then that just gave a little bit more credibility to me to get some of those other labels to listen to my demos, to want to sign them. Um, that was like the first kind of bump from like a complete, you know, amateur, no one really knows you producer to start to get some of those fans to start to get your name out there. Um, and that was just, you know, pure luck that people liked the release and that it did well. I think I pushed it a lot to my friends, had them buy it. Um, so that was one thing. 
I think the second one was there was like a period in 2018. So I think early, maybe late 2017 or 2018, um, where Justin Martin was playing a lot of my records wow. in his sets. Um, there was like a time where he was playing like six or seven records in like one set, like in a two hour set. Um, and so I was able to kind of clip those videos and post them. And it was like, you know, it, might, it was my dream to get, I, I don't think I'd been on Dirty Bird at this point, but it was my dream to get on Dirty Bird. Like I loved the label. I loved all the artists on it. And so the fact that him, who's also one of my favorite producers of all time, was playing these records um, was like huge for me. And I, I really capitalized on that and made a connection with him, um, which helped me get closer to Dirty Bird. So um, he was kind of like the big catalyst. And then from there, I, again, like you said, like I've always just been good at running with the momentum, you know, always taking like a break and never letting it kind of die down. You kind of have to like push with it. So um, I just use those kind of stepping points to to keep going. So, so I'm interested sound wise. We've covered a lot of things, you know, going right back to those early influences and through high school and then through um, Duke. But I mean, sound wise, I guess, would you say that you you produce tech house now? Yeah. So um, so so when I wanted to kind of like switch to like house music, I it was during like those future house days. So you know, just playing with like the 909 kit, but really doing other things on the bass lines and the vocals and synths. Um, it wasn't very like traditional house or tech house in that sense. Then I kind of discovered through that, like the Dirty Bird guys, Claude Von Stroke, the St. Bristol, a box of cats, um, people like Kyle Watson doing kind of like a resurgence of fidget. And like, um, so I got super into that, which was a little bit closer to where I am now. Um, and it was really then that like I got support. Uh, it was during that era that I got support from like Justin and, um, you know, started building more fans. So back then I was doing kind of like, a, I don't know, you call it like weird house or wonky house. It's very like a tech house kind of structure with terms of the drums and the bass line and the arrangement, but a little bit more like quirky synthesis in there and like cheeky vocals and stuff. Um, some of it was a little bit darker as well and kind of like heavy. Um, but I was like, yeah, Chris Lake, Walker and Royce, um, Kyle Watson, those were all like the big three that I was influenced. You know, what I kind of tried to do was combine a little bit of all their sounds. So I'd be like, I would take a little bit of what one of them was doing, take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then try to get something new. Um, so like whenever I do lessons with people, I always tell them that like, you know, if you're trying to find your sound, find a couple different people that you like, take a little bit of each of them and you'll probably end up with something new or new enough that, you know, no one's done. Yeah, I mean, that's um, exactly, exactly what we were doing in this, what we've been doing in the studio today, just kind I of, think, you know, different reference tracks and taking different ideas and different influences and different, um, yeah, different sounds. And like, exactly like you said, to try and create something new of your own, which vibes off the people that have influenced you. Um, so, so DJ wise, um, obviously you've got your production running along, you know, and, it, and it's picking up steam. And like you say, you're getting momentum and you've got this linear kind of growth. Can, do you have a memory of the first time that you feel like you were legitimately booked as West End to do a DJ set? Yeah, so I was doing like little stuff in New York, but that was all from like me kind of asking for favors or, you know, one thing I didn't mention was these guys, OK and F Collective. Um, and it was a, a bunch of producers in New York. This guy, Clem Lee, who was like the head of it. There was this guy, Henry Chiro, um, Henry Chiro which is Riffa, um, Ian Wozniak. 
He now goes by Adrian Hex. He was going by Dorian. Um, so there's a bunch of like local guys that were all kind of into the same music. So we had this little collective, kind of like back. It's kind of full circle, full circle for me. Like the track parties, we would throw little parties around New York. Um, you know, now we're not as reckless as we were, but like little lounges and rooftop parties in Brooklyn and stuff. So um, kind of started out with those guys. Had to give them a shout out. And then the first time I feel like I was booked as like West End for the music. It's it's uh, it's hard to say because I did some out of state shows, which was like that was a big deal for me because it was like oh I'm getting on a plane and going somewhere. This is like what I dreamed to do. It's like I'm touring kind of. Um, and I think I, the first one I played was in Detroit with Dylan Nathaniel and a couple other people from Audiophile XXL. So there was a label showcase. Nice. So like, part of me was like yes I'm being booked out of state. Part of me was like, this is also from my relationship with these guys, and like they're throwing a party, so it's like, you know, are they? Re- am I really getting booked for my music, or is it kind of through like a network thing? Which I don't think is a bad thing at all, because that's how the best DJs get to play all over. It's not only because of their music; it's because of networking. It's because of who they know. A lot of uh, that's like half the game. So that was like the first like time I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I'm going away to do this. Um, I'm trying to think. It's hard. Uh, this guy Corey, who has a party, this is a kind of long story. There's a guy Corey who has a club in his house in North Carolina. <laughs> this sounds fucking it's, good. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, so he Corey's an awesome guy. He built a nightclub. He turned one of the bedrooms into his house into a nightclub. Um, so he has like a full booth. He has a Function One sound system. He has like a full LED kind of thing. There's like a little dance floor. Not much. You know, dance floor is probably as big as like my bedroom right here and there's like a bar in the back kind of but it's just a bedroom in a house um and it's called the envy lounge and so he reached out to me i think on facebook he's like i like your music would like to have you come down to charlotte in north carolina to play one of these and that was probably the first time i was like okay someone like reached out you know it's not like a real club at this at this you know but it's still like I'm getting booked from someone that I don't know at all beforehand. They hit up me up, um, and uh, and like from that, you know, he threw a uh, a party in Croatia called Ship Fam Island, where like 350 Americans flew to Croatia and we had our own private island. Claude von Stroke played, Latman played, Detlef, like a bunch of DJs kind of came to that. So I got booked to do that from there. So you never know; these like little things can kind of blow up into big no, things. I, I, look, I wouldn't believe that at all. If someone that sounds like an amazing gig, never mind an amazing first gig. And if uh, yeah, if he, if he hit me up and asked me to go to North Carolina now, I'd be on the first plane available. But um, and obviously I wouldn't be allowed in. But you know, I would definitely <laughs> like to go and do it. Um, yeah. So then, and then what? So progression wise from there, um, have you? How, is it just? I mean, obviously, the management you're on now is a pretty big deal. It's the same management as Fisher. Um, you know, where did where did those changes take place? How did those changes occur? Yeah. So management is definitely a funny thing because, like, when you start off as an artist, like, you always have like you get like a manager, but it's usually just like your friend that wants to like manage you. You don't really have like a manager until it's like someone's full time job to be a, ma- a manager, in my opinion. Um, and I didn't really realize that when I was starting off and I think I was a little bit too attracted to the idea of like just I need a manager kind of like the look of having a manager Um, so I've been through a a bunch of different managers they're all great and they all like really helped me at at different points in my career Um, so how I got there um, 
let's see. Let's, so one of the first managers I had was this guy Subset. Um, if you if you watch Twitch now, he does a lot of uh, Twitch streaming. He was like a DJ in New York, and he moved to Seattle, and it was the the booking um, talent buyer at this club, Q Night Club in Seattle, and they okay. threw a lot of uh, house shows there. So he kind of like took me on under his wing a little bit um, and managed me for a bit, but. The thing I realized was that like no one is going to care about your project more than you at, at any level, I think. Um, it doesn't matter if you're like the biggest artist in the world, hopefully, um, or a small artist. No one is going to care about it more than you. And it took me a while to kind of like realize that and like understand how to use that to work with managers. Because once you realize that, then you're not judging the managers as much. You're not really, you know, you understand what their role is in an artist career and like what you have to be doing um so yeah i hopped around with a couple different managers i was working with someone at your army the uh, promotion company for a little sure. bit um i was working with this company metatone all great people they do john summit um and i played a show for insomniac uh in la at one of their clubs exchange and it was noisy's party um and i got connected with Jacob Noizu and um, and uh, the team that I'm currently on now, they also work with him, and so I got connected through that. But it was just through a show, really. Um, it's just being like like a nice guy at a show and talking with people and kind of figuring it out. Nice one. So if I take you, I mean, that's sort of within reason, and feel free to add to it if you think I'm skipping ahead. Does that sort of bring us within? A ballpark of the back end of 2019 like does, is there anything else you really feel like you need to cover off or are we kind of up to date with you as being you know west end and having really good releases on good labels you're starting to do more gigs and more touring is that kind of where you are in 2019 yeah so that, i think that brings us there like a couple of other points um so i ended up quitting my job in 2018 yeah that fall of 2018 um, I was at the point where I was starting to get enough out-of-state gigs that it was kind of interfering with my vacation schedule, and uh, I was I kind of made the decision. I was like, okay, there's enough little bit of momentum here where this, you know, I could maybe turn this into a full-time thing. I just have to kind of like give it my all um, because I realized I wasn't able to give it. You know, the, the productions were still coming, but like the full artist 360 marketing and you know, planning and all this stuff, I just didn't have the time for. So I quit my job. I did DJing full time. Um, and again, very linear, like all from 2018 to 2019. Um, a lot of like small show bookings across the US. So, you know, not huge fees, but just going around and uh, building the fan base, very like grassroots. So I did that all of 2019. Um, same thing with the labels, like started getting on more and more um, prestigious labels like I think I had my first Dirty Bird release the end of 2018 and then I followed it up with a couple other releases with them throughout the year um, did some collabs with like John and other people um, so yeah that, that kind of brings us back to close to the present yeah end of 2019 yeah, 2020 because what I guess it's leading on to is and I guess you've sort of you sort of touched on it I, w I was really going to ask the question of like you know if, if, if we'd had this chat at the end of February this year and I had sort of got to the point where I was going to say right Tyler what's coming up this year what can people look out for in 2020 where are you going to be playing what are you going to be releasing what do you see as the future of your sound 
um, you know, imagine that we've taken ourselves back to February. How would you have answered that question then, um, not knowing what was going to unfold in 2020? So how would you have answered that question? What, you know, what's coming up this year for you? What's 2020 going to hold for West End? Where are you going to be playing and what are you going to release? Yeah, so it was like the goal of this year was to be like a really big um, touring year. So uh, it was kind of like I needed all the pieces. I got all the pieces that I wanted to uh, sorted out by the beginning of the year. So, you know, I got to the, the management company that like I always wanted to get to. Like I, I kind of like manifested it in a way because I was like, I want to be on this company. I like the artists on the roster. I like them personally. I know some of the managers. They're great people. Like the the vibe of the company's great. So like I was like I wanted to get there. Kind of made that happen. And next thing I was like I need to get like an agent. I've done all my bookings throughout these years just through me and like my managers. And like I need, I want to get an agent. I want to get a good one. Um, ended up having that happen in the beginning of this year. Got on like a great company that I wanted with like agents that are awesome. So like all the pieces like were in place. And I was like you know I had some festival bookings for this year. So it was very much going to be like a growth development year. I was going to, you know, again, like very linear, like keep putting out on like record labels, like keep getting them to be bigger and bigger um, and more prestigious and, and, and hitting benchmarks with with numbers and, and you know, doing better on Beatport and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, tour more and all that. And that was really the plan was just to have it be like a, a building development year. Um, and then also, like, once you kind of start playing the festival market in the U.S., that's when you really get a bigger fan base because a lot of these festivals, you know, you're playing on a stage to, like, 20,000, 30,000 people, like some of the big ones. Um, you know, that's a great way to get new fans that I've, I never really got to play those, like, big festivals before this. So um, a lot of it was, like, trying to get more fans and kind of, you know, think about where I want my sound to be like in, a, in the next year or two. But... And what yeah, were those festivals that, that were fed, what were those festivals that were scheduled? What what are some of the shows <laughs> that you uh I'm not trying to make you feel down by the way, we are gonna move on nah. from this. But it's it's part of the progression of the questioning really yeah. the way the year's gone. But some of those shows what were some of those shows that were penciled or penned in that you were, you know, really looking forward to? Um, definitely EDC Las Vegas. So I had played like on an art car. They have a lot of these like little art cars that um kind of artists play. So I did that the year before and it was great. And then I got booked for one of the stages for this year. Wow. Um, so I was very excited about that. Um, that was supposed to be in May. Um, had like a good Miami Music Week lined up. Um, nice. not, nothing like huge there, but I just I love Miami Music Week. Um, one big one was Electric Zoo, uh, which is the kind of big dance festival in New York City. And that was actually the first festival that I'd ever went to in high school was at Electric Zoo. It's it's right off of Manhattan and this island called Randall's Island. Um, so that was like a big deal for me because like I was going to bring my parents. It's a very like full, you know, uh, full circle kind of moment to be back there. Um, uh, I had a couple other ones, but those I think were the big two that I was very have stoked you, on. Have you played much over in Europe or were you due to play much over in Europe this year? No, not... Um, Nothing in Europe. The only thing I ever did was that Ship Fam Island party, which was in Croatia. Croatia. Yeah. Um, but nothing in Europe. You know, it's kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of the American guys, they never really get booked over in Europe, even like the big ones. It's just like a sound difference. But um, yeah, there's not much. Like a lot of the, the UK guys and European guys come here, but not a lot of us go there. As soon as this 
pandemic fucks off, I will book you to come and play my party in the UK. Don't you worry about that. Um, I'm stoked, man. <laughs> and, next, and what where we should have been this week, lest us not forget, and I, it would have been ace if you'd have been there. We all should be in Amsterdam right now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's 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 yeah. a real shame because uh, if you've never been to Amsterdam, it's an amazing city anyway. But at that time of year, I mean, I've been to I've been to WMC in Miami a few times, and it's it is amazing. Um, and Amsterdam's totally different because you know Miami's obviously all high high rise skyscrapers and the beach and everything else. Amsterdam is this, you know, this city which is all based around canals with like tiny little, all like hundreds of little bars and all the rest of it and big clubs and yeah. you know, I'm sure I'm sure I'll bump into you in the future at ADE and, and you'll have a great time. Um, so moving in, I mean, this is really the sort of last question before we we wrap it up in a way, but um, I'll start to wrap it up. But so obviously you're doing all the, you know, I think you've made some really proactive steps throughout lockdown. Doing that coaching is, is amazing. It keeps you um, keeps you working on music whilst also helping people and, and creating a revenue stream, which is fantastic. Um, you know, looking hopefully towards next year and hopefully next summer and onwards looking a little bit more like normal, hopefully with more and more clubs opening and festivals. How do you see yourself developing as an artist? And, and, and more importantly for me, where do you see your sound going or where do you want to take your sound in the future? Yeah, so um, definitely one of, the, uh, you know, one of the big goals I've talked with my team on and I, I've personally had for myself is like thinking more globally for the next couple of years is like I want I want to be a global artist. I don't want to be pigeonholed to um, certain promoters just in the U.S. and I, I really want to have like a global fan base. Um, and I think a lot of that ties into like the music you're making. So that's definitely something that's been... Um, on my mind and you know hopefully by next year start to kind of branch out a little bit into other countries uh, um you know an australia tour was in the talks i think for 2020 um you know getting into europe you know i've never been to a visa i need to go to a visa just <laughs> you see did. it and depart <laughs> I, I need did. to do that ade is another great example like uh i've been to amsterdam before yeah. um been to like tomorrowland as a you know as a fan but these are all like things that I, I definitely want to do, but um, yeah, it's just a matter of seeing, you know, what's going to happen and, you know, touring, it's like something that I think about like day by day, you know, everything changes in a second. Um, you know, my prediction is that there's going to be a big like nightlife tours. Um, how do I say this? Nightlife tourism in the sense that people are going to travel to other countries to experience yeah. nightlife. So it's going to be like a destination kind of thing where certain countries will have the parties, people will make a big exodus there, there'll be a bunch of events, they'll kind of go away, it's like a ADE or Miami Music Week. Where it's going to be, I don't know, but that's something I see kind of for 2021. Um, in terms of the sound, I'm definitely, you know, we talked about before, I was kind of making that wonky, weirder tech house sound. In the last year or two, I've kind of, you know, lost a little bit of interest in that. Um, tried to get it a little bit more serious, but still have some of my flair. So, like this year is a great example. Like some of the tracks I put out um, on Solo Toco and uh, uh, well, I just got label technique. Yeah, I mean, I just got your um, promo the other day. For, it's coming out on November thirteenth, and it's a by yeah. my side EP. Um, and I yeah. think that was you know very housey and and the. the um, the Mardi Party, well, I really enjoyed like, the production with the kind of brass. Was that a brass? Um, it was like you... a trumpet, yeah. Yeah, exactly. was that a live instrument or was that a synth that you were using to no, produce it was, that? It was a sample. It was a sample I found. Um, but yeah, like that's a great example of that EP. It's like I, I'm, I'm moving a little bit more into the, I guess we you say like traditional tech house 
uh, style yeah. sound, but still kind of doing my own element there. Uh, one thing I've been working a lot on has been more vocal-driven uh, records and a little yeah. bit more like radio-friendly stuff. Because yeah. um, in a couple of years, like I want to kind of be able to have that radio side and then also have the club side. Um, people like MK and people like Sonny Federa definitely like look up to them a, a ton, and I think they nailed that balance between the two. Um, yeah. So it's just something to like I've been thinking about a lot more. Um, and you know, it's always been with me. Like I've always loved commercial music, and I've loved um, you know pop music and and, and radio friendly stuff. So it's like figuring out a way to kind of incorporate that um, into what I'm doing is it's kind of what I've been practicing over the last couple of months. Cool. Um, if people <clears throat> want to find out more about you, hear more about your music, follow you on social, like your pages, what should they search? Where should they click? What should they do to find out more about West End? Uh, on all the socials, it should be at It's the West End. So ITS, the West End. Um, you Google, like, I get pictures every day of like different <laughs> restaurants and the streets and bars that are just named West End. So it wasn't the, <laughs> the best name for search engine optimization, but um, It's the West End should uh, direct you to me. But yeah, probably follow me on Instagram. That's where I post like most of my stuff, Instagram, Twitter. Nice one. Right, we're going to start wrapping it up. There's a couple of things we do to wrap it up. First thing is like a little quick fire round. So I'm not looking for, it doesn't have to be a one word answer, but we're kind of keeping it, you know, relatively short. Yeah, I'm sure. going to go snappy through it. So the first one is um, which DJ, so if you get an email from your agent or your manager or whatever, and you've been booked for a show, can be anywhere, but you've been booked for the show and you see the lineup and you're on after someone and you just go, oh, fuck, that is going to be really hard i am feeling a little bit nervous whatever the feelings might be but you just feel a little bit like oh god that i don't really fancy that you know when they pull their headphones out and i put mine in um is there anyone yeah. that springs to mind that you just think oh god i really wouldn't fancy following them on the decks okay quick funny short story in croatia <laughs> played a couple sets one of my sets uh the parties went all night one of my sets with that was after dorley at 7 a.m my um, great so guy yeah I, I had to follow him and like, you know, he was using his nose to push in on the CDJs and, and going crazy. So I was definitely uh, shitting myself a little bit then. So I would say Dorley probably. Yeah. Martin's a great guy. I'm sure he was uh, super awesome nice. Guy. To yeah. He's a lovely guy. Um, I think you've already answered this, but I'm going to get a clarification from you. So let's just say, what was the first nightclub that you went to? I mean, I guess you mentioned Pasha, um, but what was the first nightclub that you went to that you were kind of, I guess a bit blown away by, a little bit in awe of the first time you really heard that loudspeakers and the flashing lights and you were like, wow, this is fucking the shit. Okay, it was either Pasha, which we've mentioned before, or um, Destructo would throw these hard parties at this place called Terminal 5 in New York City. And that was a little bit more of like a, a one-night type show situation where it was, yeah. uh, you know, that's where I saw Justice and Simeon Mobile Disco and... Uh, Gashafelstein's first U.S. performance ever was there, um, so I think that that venue, Terminal Five, with the hard production, that in combination was pa with Pasha was like the first time I was like, "Whoa, this is cool. crazy!" A track that has influenced you the most um, that you kind of maybe either had a moment to, or you always think back to and just think this is really the the record or the track that has had a huge influence on the music that I love, the music that I play, the scene that I want to be a part of? Um, I would probably say it was actually, it doesn't affect my production that much now, but it was what got me into electronic music and like raving and like wanting to 
make music was Justice's um, Phantom Part 2. That song was the one where I was like, this is the coolest sounding thing ever. <laughs> and so I think the like kind of mood of that and like the energy of that track kind of carries with me, even though it doesn't. the music I make doesn't sound like it. That was the, the first one. Nice one. Favorite club, or I guess it can be an event if it's if it's more of an event than a club, but sort of favorite DJ set, I guess I'm asking, um, that you you know think back to and think, wow, I just nailed it. The crowd, the venue, the atmosphere, the vibe. What what is it, what sticks out as your sort of favorite gig that you've done? Um, uh, probably one recently at the end of 2019 was at this venue called the Brooklyn Mirage in New York. Um, it's like this big open air venue. But there's a separate room called the Great Hall. It's like a 3,500 cap uh, room. I, I opened for Martin Eichen and Fisher, and I had like all my friends and family there, and like I had a huge turnout in the beginning. It was like almost a full room, and like in recent memory, that was like a very like uh, satisfying <laughs> yes. and, uh, and good gig. Um, there's definitely a couple others, but just I'll tell you. Yeah, my I, head, I think you've it. I think you've nailed it with that. I don't think you can knock that one. Yeah. Um, so this one is kind of a flip it on the head from the first question, which is like. Which DJ, and you've been, you mentioned one there, which your lineup is pretty pretty great, but which DJ would you just love to get that email from your agent and see that you're warming up for and you kind of get, you think, wow, I'm just going to be able to play exactly what I want to play. I'm going to be able to play the music that I love. And as soon as I finish my set, I'm going to watch someone that I love playing and gonna, I'm either going to be in the booth watching with them or I'm going to be on the dance floor having a party. Who, you know, what was that, would be that email that you get from your agent and you just think, oh, I'm so happy that I'm on to warm up for this DJ. Um, I think there's two ways to answer this because there's some DJs that I just, uh, I love personally. That's not, I don't think I would fit on the bill with, okay. um, one of them is like kind of music. So Rick Rampa and, and me, the guys from Berlin, um, I love their stuff. I saw them in Tulum this last year. They were amazing. Um, other would probably be like fish again, just because he's like his party, like the crowd is so energetic. I love his <laughs> DJ sets. I think he's a sick DJ and like, he really like pulls amazing tunes and uh, it's, you know, it's never not a party with him. So probably, you know, playing with him is sick. So Cool. Okay, the last one of the quickfire ones, and I don't know how to frame it for you, which is probably my error as a interviewer and presenter less on you, but I'll try and frame it in a way that might work. So, you know, the big um, room that you played in with um, Fisher and... Um, yeah. Martin Eikin. So I'm, I'm going to propose a little um, sort of idea for you that you opened up that gig. Um, Martin went on, then Fisher went on, but you were going to play the last hour. For some reason, you were just closing the room after Fisher. Yeah, yeah. Um, and let's just say to sell out, you know, it's going to be huge. Um, you know, it's going to be a great night. And for some reason, this coincides with the big announcement that everything's going to get locked down. Right. So you, yeah. you are aware that you're going to play the last record in this kind of venue, this big, huge show that's potentially, with the benefit of hindsight, could be nine months, 12 months, whatever, before people are going to be back at these sort of parties. And you know this, right? Because <laughs> I've told you yeah. that you know this, and it's my show, and I get to ask the questions. So what record do you close that party on, knowing that that could be the last gig that you do and the last show that people are at for nine, 12 months? What's the record? Daft Punk, one more time, 100%. Have you heard my bootleg of it, sir? I have not. You need to right. send me that. I will send you it, and because that would have been the perfect answer in that scenario. Um, okay, yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna move on to the the, the sort of the yeah, the penultimate last little bit. With this is basically, um, and again, you potentially already answered this, but I'm going to carry on because it's the format of the show. I want you to get. I want you to curate a sort of a dream gig. 
Um, so first of all, I want like yeah. a, a venue where it is. It can be somewhere that exists. It can be somewhere that's open, that's closed. It can be a generic thing like a beach party or a small basement or whatever. But we need a, we need a venue. And then we're going to have three acts. It's not so much a warm up in the middle and a headline. It's more just like three co-headlines. They can be individual DJ sets. You can play if you want, or if not, they can be back-to-backs. They can be live acts. They can be bands. They can be whatever the fuck you want. Because West End, this is your dream show. Where are we going to have this this dream gig, sir? Okay, so where... I don't know if you've... Have you ever been to the Full Moon Party in Thailand? Yeah. Okay, so... I want it on the beach, the beach uh, yeah. in Copenhagen. There's yeah. like this very crescent like beach. I don't want any of the people that are at the full moon party there. And I don't want any of the like stands. The or other side like trance that. DJs. But, yeah, I don't want the side trance DJs or the mushroom smoothies. or anything. I mean, the mushroom smoothies can stay, but I, I don't want um, those people there. But I do want that venue, Ambience. but I want it to be like kind of decked out in like a nice way and like nice production. But I want it with like the the stage like over the water with like a yeah. nice full moon above it and like very good acoustics and like the jungle behind you that's where i want it um, okay i'm down yeah, i've been there i can picture it i can shut my eyes now and i'm there sir yeah you know, who's playing you know uh that's a hard question um well i have to say i'm playing because I have the most fun at parties when I'm DJing. So like, I would just be upset if I was at the party and I was be like, I want to be up there DJing. So I'm definitely one of the acts. Nothing um, but respect for that. Nothing but respect. I need someone. I want someone like a good party for me. It's like you have the energy kind of like moves a little bit. So I need someone that's like going to do like the sunrise kind of. And I need someone that's going to kill it. Maybe Damien Lazarus for Ooh, a sunrise. Wow. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do Damien. Maybe like cross a Damien back to back Rambo. Yeah, nice. Yeah, Crosstown Rebels. Um, something like that for the. Did not see that coming. Closing. I did not see that coming. I like and it. Then, I just didn't see it coming. Because I'm thinking about the night. It's like okay, I'm I'm gonna do like a four hour in the middle and 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 like I don't really want someone that's gonna do something similar to me because it's like I, again I want that like progression. Yeah. So I want that to close. Nice. Uh, maybe Damien back-to-back Tale of Us. I don't know if that works, but that would be kind of cool. Yeah, be expensive. Um, and yeah, definitely very expensive. <laughs> uh, and then, like, I don't know. I think to start it off, like, I've, I haven't seen him DJ, but I love his production so much. Like a purple disco machine. Oh, but, like, yeah, maybe, I've like, up, I've, yeah, I've warmed up for him a few times. He's such a sick DJ. Really great DJ. Okay, cool. Okay, I think, like, I would want, like, a purple disco machine, but, like, I, I want his set to not be not that it is, but I want it to be a little bit more like underground if he does that. Um, okay. A little bit like a long, like an extended set kind I'll, of. I'll, set I'll broker so that with his agent. I'll ring him up. I say, look, West End yeah. wants you to play. It's Thailand. It's good money, but you know you're just going to need to, you know, keep it a bit, bit, bit more underground. I think he'll go for it, man. He'll go for it. Um, okay, it's been great chatting. What I, I want you to it, do yeah. is I want you to. Name a track to play out the podcast, right? It can be one of yours. It can be something from way back when. It can be Daft Punk one more time. It can be Daft Punk one more time, Felix Light Bootleg, whatever you want. But I just want something that comes to mind. It can be something you heard yesterday. It can be something off your By My Side EP. Whatever you want. It's just a bit of music that people have been listening to us chat for an hour and a quarter. And you're going to name the record, tell people why they should listen to it, and then we're going to say goodbye. Okay. Uh, I think I've mentioned this, so I think it's going to be Justice... Phantom Part 2, um, just because that's what started it, kind of a, all of it for me. 
Uh, it's an amazing record. If you ever watched like the old Mercedes car commercials, you probably heard it, but you didn't realize it. Um, it just has amazing, gritty energy, uh, and it's like a throwback. I feel like people don't give it enough love, so that, that's the one for me. Amazing. It's been really great speaking to you. It's been a fantastic insight into your career so far, and I do highlight so far because you've got a long way to go, and I'm sure you're going to be you. absolutely massive in the next 10 years, man. So I hope when all this is over, I'll be uh, over to see you in the States, or we'll hook up in AD, yes. and I'm going to book you to come and play in, uh, in Newcastle awesome, or in the UK. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat West End. I'll see you again soon, man. Yes, thank you for having me. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are.